Welcome back to Bleacher Brawls, the home of the greatest rivalry in professional sports between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. This is your Sunday night, Monday morning rivalry show where we talk both teams, Little Sox, Little Yanks. My name is Pat. I'm here tonight with John and Joey stepping in for Luke tonight uh, because we wanted someone uh, with, with the same amount of audacity uh, that Luke brings to every Sunday night show. Uh, before we talk Sox or Yanks or just the baseball world at large, which is most of our agenda tonight, I'm going to check in with these guys, see how they're doing in the segment that we call First Pitch. John, I will go to you first. Give me your first pitch. All right. So we might not be with Luke tonight, but I did see Luke yesterday. It was my daughter's fourth birthday. We had a birthday party for her. And instead of arguing Yankees Red Sox like we usually do, uh, so it was the conversation really was still about, I can't believe how stupid the Dodgers are. Like that $700 million contract for Otani, who's going to pitch like 70 games over that span. Uh, it just still blew us away. And I, I just, I'm still talking about that kind. There's hasn't been, it's been a slower baseball week, as you mentioned, Pat. Um, and so that's just been the one topic that I, I still can't believe that happened. Outside of that, I do have to give Luke a ton of credit. Uh, he's really, really working hard at manifesting Yamamoto to the Red Sox. Like, if I believe it enough, it'll happen. Uh, so that has been something else to watch and enjoy. Um, it's like, uh, I, I give the guy credit. He is putting in a lot of effort in manifesting the sign. Joey, what's up with you? I'm feeling good. I'm back home for Christmas. And I will say, last show, I was very impressed with Luke. I think I don't think Luke and I had a single disagreement last show, which might be a sign <laughs> that, that we're both terribly wrong. And that the the takes are just getting so off. It's like it's like the spectrum of bad takes is converging, and we're both on the wrong side. But I, I'm all in on Yamamoto. I'm, I'm I'm waiting for that. There's no other real news baseball wise. I did see today that the Royals have spent more, and the Athletics have all spent more in free agency this year than the Red Sox, and and and, and that gave me heartburn. But other than that, I, I, I'm feeling good and. I feel Yamamoto coming. They said he's going to meet with the Yankees again. They said he's going to meet with the Mets again. Maybe it's he's just giving them the courtesy of of, of saying, hey, guys, <laughs> you know, you, you agree I wanted to have this meeting just to break up with you? Or uh, or maybe not. But that that's working. We're working through that now. I, I feel great. Things in life are going very well. And, John, I just wanted to apologize for not attending your four-year-old's birthday party. I was just too busy at the time. It was a party at the farm. You could have rode a pony. Joey's ridden many ponies in his day. Um, you, before, okay, before you guys want to talk Yamamoto, that's our first agenda topic. We will get there. I want to address, John, your uh, your how crazy are the Dodgers? Because um, I, I want to say two things here. As, as you and and Luke have gone farther and farther away from you know you're you're swinging one direction of this is such a terrible decision. I'm thinking more and more what a great decision this is for them. Um, for two reasons. Number one, I cannot get over this Kobe Bryant video thing. Have you guys read about this? Yes. So back in 2017, the Dodgers had Kobe film a video 
um, that they would use in a potential Otani free agency battle where they would say, or he would say, rather, um, L.A. is the best. It's the ultimate sports town. L.A. is the place of champions. You should be a Los Angeles Dodger. They filmed this video. They put it on the shelf. Kobe tragically dies a couple years later. Kobe's been dead for almost five years now. And they still busted out the video. <laughs> and they played it in, in this Otani meeting. And I just, I cannot get over how crazy that is. Um, it's like the, the Nathan for You sketch where, the, where the, they have the dead dog talk to the little boy. Um, and then the other, my, my part B of this is, speaking of Yamamoto, and this can be our transition, uh, uh, reportedly, you know, who knows how true these things are, but reportedly in Yamamoto's um, Dodgers meeting, he was met by Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Shohei Otani. And I got to tell you, that would convince me. I think that that would be good enough to convince me. If, uh, if numbers were similar, to have three of the four best baseball players um, on the same team, and they all want me, I think, uh, I think that's the place that I would want to go. Anyone want to jump in here? Uh, yeah, I think the Otani video is hilarious. Also, I was, I was wondering, too, d- d- does he understand English fluently? Because now I'm wondering if there was just, like, Kobe Bryant speaking and then just subtitles in Japanese at the bottom. So, you know, maybe, you know, they're editing what he's saying. Like, Otani thinks he's reading something that he's not actually saying. You know, I thought that was such a funny image in my head, like a like a dub. They dubbed Kobe in Japanese to make it palatable for Shohei. I do wonder, though, I do wonder if the, if the, he goes to L.A., he sees all these guys. He's like, yeah, yeah, I want to be, like, the second most well-known per- Like, you know, like, I don't know if I want to share the limelight. Maybe maybe that's just me. Maybe I, I don't think I'd want to be a star on a team of stars. I think I just want to be the star. You know, I don't know how convincing that was. Also, I'm not sure. So was that for when Kobe, when the Dodgers tried to sign Otani originally, when he was first coming to the MLB? Is that, is that where that's from? No, I think that they, they banked it for this. Um free agency the way that i've understood it oh what that totally changes things yeah i thought this was something left over from when otani was initially the way that i've understood i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure they banked it for like now that's insane (laughs) let me double check that that's crazy it's we should get uh, so weird because it's like you're almost like anticipating something happening to kobe like that's i don't know that's i didn't know that's true Hmm. that's so true john Kobe, come film this with us real quick. Just just before you go in that helicopter ride, just come just come film this for us. Very bizarre. Well, I'll say while Pat's looking that up, um, as far as Yamamoto coming in with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts and Shohei Otani, like I mean, even though I think even you know Yamamoto must realize much like I do that Otani's not going to be pitching that many games. That is still a pretty stacked lineup, so you know you're getting a lot of run support. Um, I still think the Dodgers are in on Yamamoto because they're just going all out. Like kind of like what the Rangers did this year where they just kept throwing money at problems or trading if an issue ro- arose when they needed pitching. Um, I think the uh, Dodgers are just going all in on this year uh, and 
possibly hope hopefully for the next few years for them, not for us, obviously. And uh, yeah, I still see them in in, in Yamamoto, who I do think uh, I think he's playing this out for the money. To be honest with you, I think the longer this drags out, the more and more of a bidding war it creates. And I think for I'm wondering just the cynic in me is all of this just him just trying to generate as much money for himself as possible. So what I have from Yahoo Sports is um, that video was likely filmed in advance of Otani's first MLB free agency in late 2017, but it's unclear why it wasn't used then. So I don't know. He'd never seen it. He saw it for the first time just now. And that uh, that is kind of weird. Um, well, can I say this? It didn't like when that whole thing went down with Otani. He like he signed with the Angels pretty much immediately. So like the Dodgers might just never have gotten the chance to use it. I remember like he came in. He's like, I'm playing for the Angels, and he wasn't even open to meeting with other teams. This is arguably worse though, because then then they have the video, and Kobe tragically dies, and they're like, you know what? We're still going to use the video. Well, I think the Dodgers were like, "Hold on, let's wait till we can make this as tasteless as possible." It's not, it's not tasteless enough yet. We have to make it more tasteless. He said it worked. I mean, it worked on him. He said um, that was one of the highlights of the whole meeting. He says through his interpreter, "I was really surprised to see it. It was a strong and touching message." The Dodgers Maybe he's not taking on the grave or something. I, is Otani an NBA fan? I really doubt it. I mean, I really doubt Otani was growing up watching the Lakers in Japan. And if anything, Otani would have obviously been a Celtics fan. Maybe we could, oh, we should get a video of, okay, who's a dead Celtic? Bill Russell died. Reggie Lewis. Otani, or... do you remember watching Bill Russell in the 1956 NBA championship? Well, here's a video for you, Shohei. Here he is. Oh, my God. Anyway. Back to your point, John. Or no, no, excuse me. This was uh, this was Joey's. Joey, I know you know the show's all fun and games, but are you seriously saying that you would rather be the top guy on the San Francisco Giants than like maybe the third or fourth biggest star on the Dodgers, who are going to now win a bunch? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Okay. Like Just making sure. Yeah, think about it. On the Dodgers, it's not Freeman's team. You know, it's not Freeman's team. It's it's kind of it's kind of like I would say is it Mookie's team? Who I mean, whose team is that? It's Mookie's team, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's Mookie's team. It's not Freeman's team. Freeman, it was Freeman's team in in Atlanta, right? I want if I'm a star player like that, I want when someone thinks of the L.A. Dodgers to think of me, right? Just how like in Boston. No matter what, for 10 years, if you thought of a Red Sox player, it was David Ortiz. That was who you thought of, right? If I'm Otani, if I'm a marquee guy, if I th- if I want to have the aspiration to be one of the greatest of all time, I don't want to be like the Kevin Durant. Like, you think of Kevin Durant on the Warriors. Like, John, do you remember when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors? Durant was arguably the best player on that team. And he was like a total afterthought and will never be remembered as a Warrior. And he was just—he just showed up to ring chase, you know, and that's how it looked. Absolutely, like even the same thing. Alex Rodriguez, like before everyone knew he was on steroids, was arguably, arguably a better player than Derek Jeter, and he came to the Yankees, and it was still Derek Jeter's team. 
Yeah, he he did just say arguably, Joey. You you did not mishear that. He said arguably, arguably not, not objectively in every in every single metric possible. <laughs> you like Derek Jeter has the second most hits for a right-hander in all of baseball history. There's only been one right-handed hitter. All the great right-handed hitters in baseball, only one has more hits than Derek Jeter. I mean, the guy was just he was amazing. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, A-Rod might have had more lines than more what about, what about a, a glove on the field? A-Rod was a better fielder than Jeter, too. No, Derek Jeter, like, I, I'm pretty sure he's the stat on him was that he never finished in the top five in errors for shortstops his entire career. So, I know, like, that was the whole thing on Alex Rodriguez, and maybe he was a better fielder, but I don't know. I was pretty negligible. To be I mean, honest where with does you. Jeter beat A Rod personality? But G, I mean, I mean, personality I hits, batting average. Have you seen Jeter on TV? Well, well, no, no, no. Okay, I've had this argument with Luke. When Derek Jeter comes and does Yankee games, he's a completely different Derek Jeter than when he's doing games for other teams that he doesn't care about. So for that sense, it makes me love him even more. So he's he'll a bad come to, broadcaster. Is what he'll saying. come, yeah. So yes, he'll come to his um, job as a national broadcaster. He sh- and he should only be doing the Yes Network because when he comes on the Yes Network or when he's doing Yankee games nationally, he's a completely different person than when he's just watching two teams that he could not care less about. And that makes me like him even more because I only care about the Yankees, and Derek Jeter only cares about. The I will Yankees. say this: so it's something else he has in common with me. And Pat, tell me if you agree with this as a Red Sox fan. A-Rod, when he started doing TV, really made me like him a lot more than I did before. I really hated him, like, personally. I mean, I was also a little kid and 13 years old. But I really grew up hating A-Rod in every aspect of his personality. But I think over the last few years, he's made himself a lot more palatable on TV. And, like, I, 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 can, I can enjoy him. It's not the same for me with Jeter. He just he seems he seems totally. Um, I mean, when he's out there with Ortiz, he's just being outclassed on TV. It's like embarrassing. He's like the uh, he's like an awkward kid. And Ortiz is trying to play around with him, and Jeter takes himself so seriously. It's like ridiculous. And you know, in the end, uh, in the end, I mean, didn't A Rod marry Madonna too? Right? Did he marry Madonna? Did, did he get? I think he did dated they date Madonna? They, they, he dated Madonna. So and I mean, he almost married J Lo, but then he screwed yeah, he kind of beat Jeter there too. So it's just really, yeah, I mean, I'm not seeing yeah. where Jeter's winning here. Jeter, I would take Jeter's, like, you know, conquest over A-Rod's any day. Jeter had I, Mariah I Carey. The whole oh, Mariah Carey's my girl, Joey. Jeter had Mariah Carey back in the early, or in the mid-90s. Oh, uh, that's your girl, Mariah. I forgot, yeah. I, I forgot you were a big Mariah Carey fan. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you that A-Rod is way more likable as A-Rod the ex-player is way more likable than A-Rod the player. Even I as a Yankees fan, like, sure, like, if he helped the Yankees win, like, I liked him. But all in all, he was really hard to deal with. Like, to have to defend A-Rod after every stupid antic, after every dumb, awkward thing he did, and then I'd hear from Luke immediately, and I'd have to defend this idiot when I didn't want to, when I didn't want to. And now as an ex-player, he's just such a likable guy. And his personality is finally, like, his real personality is finally come out. So I fully agree with you there. Well, uh, you guys both fell for it. Uh, He's been on his redemption tour. He's trying to, you know, publicly repent for his sins and, and redeem himself in the eyes of the public and particularly the baseball writers and uh and get himself into the hall of fame uh more and more his commentary seems to be uh uh 
excuse me, less and less is his commentary about the actual game that's going on and how, um, what is the right and wrong way to play the game and how he did it the wrong way. He, he's just saying this constantly all the time now. And, and I will say, um, I don't know, you know, uh, you guys are kind of suckers, but what I do like is, is when they do the thing where he like, he grabs a bat and he like stands at the fake home plate and he does hitting mechanics because for all the crap you could say about A-Rod, he's a great hitter. And if there's one thing that that guy understands, it's how to hit a baseball. And when he does the actual, like, stand there, you know, they do the slow motion of whatever hitter he's talking about. And he points out how the guy's hips are doing this and how his hands are doing this and his eyes are doing this. That's great. I mean, that's like, you know, they should they should write textbooks about this kind of stuff. That guy understands hitting. But then when he sits at the desk or he does the the show with Michael K, that's just a nightmare. I mean, the guy, the guy, the guy is a walking, talking nightmare. Um, and uh, I, I would like way less of that and way more of just like, what were you really good at, Alex? OK, let's have you talk about that instead. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, he He's really good at breaking down hitting and breaking down the game. But yeah, that, his that personality. I think what it is is David Ortiz brings out the first the personality in A Rod. Like it's David Ortiz. If A Rod gets into the Hall of Fame, David Ortiz gets the assist on it because uh, you're right. If Michael K and A Rod, there's no chemistry, but David Ortiz and A Rod is absolutely amazing. And this is what I've said before. Yeah, Derek Jeter. He's great with all those singles and all those routine plays, but. Uh, he really looks like a dud next to these guys on on the on the desk, you know, because as much as we like to joke around, the truth is he's not a huge personality guy. He's really not. And you you go crazy big poppy, then you go A Rod, who, you know, Poppy brings out the best in him, and then Jeter just, you know, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. He's he's you know, he's not along and he's I wouldn't even say he's smiling, he's, he's smirking, really. He's collecting a paycheck and when it runs out, he'll go do figure out the next thing to do. Yeah, pretty much. I remember a clip. Ortiz brought every brought everyone uh, fancy cowboy hats, like expensive cowboy <laughs> yeah. hats, and Jeter like refused to put it on. This is it was just freaking ridiculous. He just like looks like looked like such a tool. Oh, I won't put the cowboy hat on. Oh, I'm Mister Serious. It's like, dude, you're bald. Put on the cowboy hat. He said, "New Yorkers don't wear cowboy hats." He played to his audience. He knew who he, who he was playing to. There's Florida, not a New Yorker watching that. Every New Yorker watching that Yankees fan was like, "You know what? That's right. New Yorkers don't wear cowboy hats, Derek." So uh, yeah, he's playing to his audience. Anyway, uh, we, we have we have digressed. The Yamamoto talk. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about, well, how was how? Excuse me. There's kind of been a lack of news. We've got. Oh, he met with the Yankees, he's met with the Mets, he's met with the Dodgers, this number got thrown around, this this number got thrown around. But there hasn't really been too much that's been concrete. Um, and there is a deadline looming. I, I want to check myself because I don't want to get it wrong. I want to say it's January 5th is, yes, I got it right, is the Yamamoto deadline. And so, you know, that's coming soon. That is two and a half weeks from now. Um, John, you think it's just him. The the longer he waits, the more phone calls he's going to get that have higher and higher prices. Yeah, absolutely. That's just, I can get a little cynical on these things because the thought is either he's conflicted and he's trying to decide between, you know, team A and team B, or it's, 
maybe he likes the attention and he's just going to drag this out and he's Googling his name every five minutes to see what comes up next. Or like it, if his, he, I'm sure he's got a great agent. If they take this up to the last minute, he's going to get paid. And isn't that, um, no, it's actually is a different posting system with Daisuke. That's a completely different situation. But yeah, I, I think if he just drags it out and drags it out and drags it out, some team is just going to keep ponying up more and more money. And there's a lot of desperate teams, you know, the Red Sox and the Giants are both desperate. Reportedly, both of those teams have already gotten their offers in the $300 million range. The Mets can obviously get there. The Mets could go to 400 if they want. Uh, I think the Yankees have a number, and they're not going to pass it. That's why I kind of still don't think he's going to the Yankees. And, you know, we'll see. The Dodgers are spending like drunken sailors, and uh, it kind of depends if he if that does he want to play with Otani or not. Rumors true. So I I just that is me though I just think going oh, he's going to take this up to the last minute just to try to get as much money as he possibly can and um it benefits his team back in Japan because the the bigger the contract the bigger cut they get and um so I think that's always a possibility too like hey you know like it's not even just a greedy thing for him it's just like yeah I'm going to try to get money from my team to show a little bit of loyalty because I'm leaving so I, I I think it's all about the money with him. Joey, you said at the top of the show that you're holding out hope. And uh, on the midweek show earlier this week, um, you said, I know this is a homer take, but I really believe it. I think he's going to be on the Boston Red Sox. Uh, you know, of, of news of him meeting with, with the Mets, meeting with the Yankees, has this swayed your opinion at all? No, because I, I don't know how accurate any of these reports are. And I imagine if he's meeting with two teams, He'll probably still meet with the Red Sox. I, I, again, me and Luke had this whole cope session over this. You know, we were just we were just feeding into each other. By the end, I was I was I felt like I was guaranteed Yamamoto. By the end of that show, I felt like I was owed Yamamoto. And here's the way I see it, man. I think the Dodgers are out. I think we know that now. As I said a few days ago, people told me I was wrong. They're out. The Giants have this weird bugaboo. It seems like they pivoted to that Korean player. It doesn't seem like the Giants are, are, are in it for Yamamoto anymore either. The Yankees, they don't have the contract flexibility like we've talked about earlier with John. And also, Yamamoto is going to be the second best pitcher on that team. You think Yamamoto, I mean, if the money is close, do you think he wants to be the number two starter on a baseball team? I, I, I doubt it. So then it becomes between Boston and the Mets. And I think those are the two top contenders from here, Boston and the Mets. The Mets, to me, you know, it seems like Steve Cohen's going pretty hard at this point, so I don't know if minds have been changed. It did not feel like at the end of last season and going into this season that the Mets were going to be big spenders in the offseason. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but I think they, it's something like they're going to take a step back or reassess. That's what I thought we were going to get from the Mets. A bit of a reassessment, taking stock of everything that's happened and getting things in order again. And also remember, now Steve Cohen does have limitless money. We all talk about that. But practically speaking, you know, I know Pat's, a, you know, Pat only has $1 billion, you know, because he's a, he's been around so long that the interest is accrued. He's a billionaire. But as Pat will tell you, a billion dollars is basically as limitless as $3 billion, which is also basically limit, as limitless as $5 billion. So 
John Henry has six billed to his name personally, and that's not regarding whatever revenue's coming in. Most of these owners could spend anything they want to, right? It's that they choose not to. And with Cohen, is he really? Because, I mean, think about how over they are already in the luxury tax. They're in that third threshold, as was talked about last year. So a Yamamoto deal, and you're going to have to remind me of the new CBA rules with luxury tax because I don't remember exactly how it works. Now, it used to work that after a certain point, for every dollar you spent, you had to pay a dollar and a half or $2 to the league to give for a collective sharing. I don't know what it is now exactly. But if the Mets sign Yamamoto to $300 million, well, not only like the fee is going to be ridiculous, you have the fee going into Japan, but you also have the luxury tax penalties. It's going to be like a, probably a four or $500 million contract because of the way that deal structured and because of how over the luxury tax the Mets are. The Mets are in that third tier, that third threshold, hitting tremendous penalties. Steve Cohen might not feel like spending half a billion dollars on a puttering franchise right now. He, he might have lost his interest in just sending out rockets to try and, and bring the, uh, the Mets to the moon. Now, it's looking like that's wrong. It looks, it's looking like they're heavily interested. But you do have to remember, the Red Sox, I think, are, are by far in the best financial situation to pick up Yamamoto. Financially, it makes the most sense for the Red Sox, and they have the most flexibility. Because the Mets are going to have to pay tremendous penalties. The Yankees are already paying tons of contracts and already have a number one starter, so they have the, less, the least need. The Dodgers, I think, are out of it completely at this point, and the Giants can't seem to get anyone to come there. So when I think of the issue... It seems like the Red Sox are the ones with all of the leeway, the one with all of the leverage to move in a bidding war. Is it fair, though, to say that the the Mets are, that, that this sort of Steve Cohen experiment with the Mets have failed? I mean, if if I'm correct, it's only been two years. And one year they had a very good season and then, um, you know, just lost to the playoffs, which it is what it is. Obviously, an earlier exit they anticipated, but. It is kind of the sport to a certain degree. And then, yeah, they were terrible this year. They shipped off a bunch of people, but it's only been two years. I mean, it's not like he's been trying this forever. Wouldn't that kind of be, wouldn't he, wouldn't Yamamoto kind of be the place to start? That's kind of my take on the Mets because Steve Cohen, first and foremost, is a fan. Like, Hal Steinbrenner is not a fan of baseball. John Henry, I don't think, is a fan of baseball. Uh, Steve Cohen loves the Mets. His wife is a diehard fan. Like this, this is a couple that has is like again we talked limitless money that wants to win. So I know they said they were taking a step back, but they've switched general managers since then. And what better? Even if you are taking a step back, you're locking down an ace, potentially an ace starting pitcher for the next ten years. Like you're going to at some point during you want to win over the next, you know, three, four years, you're going to have him long term. So I can tell Luke's working his uh, mind magic on Joey, trying to convince him that, oh, just believe it. If you believe it, it'll happen. But I, I really think if this is about money, he's a man. Or it's, maybe he's, if there's a place he wants to play. But I think if there's a place he wanted to play, like he, like he grew up idolizing one of those a specific team that he wanted to play for, I think he would have already signed. Kind of like I was talking before how 
Otani just his posting window opened or whatever it was, and he was a dodge uh an angel within you know twenty four hours. Joey, you want the final thought on this? Did Otani dream of being an angel? Is that is that really true? I have no. I, I, I don't know. He's party of one on that. But I know I get what you're saying. It just, you know, it would be ironic. It, it would be ironic if the two teams, the Mets and the Red Sox, the Mets said that they were taking a step back this season and they signed Yamamoto to a $300 million contract and the Red Sox said they were going full throttle and didn't. I mean, that would be the irony of all ironies. It would, it would perfectly encapsulate the the muck the Red Sox have been through in the last five years. I think Cohen did give it the old college. I mean, I think he really did try to spend his way into a World Series, and he's realizing that that didn't work very well. And remember, Cohen might be able to, might be willing to spend $300 million on a player, but when it comes to the luxury tax penalties, Yamamoto might come out to $100 million more than that, right? That he might not be willing to cross that line. You know, the, 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 these guys have an ego. They, they're like, you know, what player is worth half a billion dollars to these guys? Uh, do the Mets think that uh, Yamamoto is going to contribute long term? I think that's why they're looking at him. But again, I don't think they have that same leeway that the Red Sox do. I just don't. So, John, uh, the general consensus seems to be that a lot of starting pitchers have not found their homes yet uh, because they're waiting on Yamamoto to kind of set uh, the market because obviously Shohei could not do that. I mean, his number is astronomical for many different reasons. And they're looking at, okay, what is a top tier starter going to be? And then they want to judge their offers based on that. So the Yankees, you know, what you think are, and what Joy seems to think are that the Yankees are out on Yamamoto. How do you pivot? Are, are you done? I mean, was was Juan Soto and Alex Verdugo, was that was that the move? Do you still need a starter? You shipped off some starters to San Diego, some pitchers to San Diego. What What is going to be the corresponding move if he becomes a San Francisco Giant? So I think the Yankees, are they're going to have to make a move of pitching. Like you said, they just shipped off so much pitching depth that they have to figure out something. Uh, I think they're going to kick the tires on Snell. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. I think kind of knowing Brian Cashman's track record, he's going to try to find that, you know, like undervalued starting pitcher, and he's going to try to make a trade for someone that's going to come to New York. He'll trade for someone from like the Pirates that's never played an important game in his career, and they'll come to Yankee City and get rocked. Um, that tends to be what Cashman does. He does have a blind spot for starting pitching. So, I, I again, I would love Yamamoto. My hope is that he grew up wanting to be a Yankee, and that's why he would come to the Yankees. Uh, but outside of that, you know, if he doesn't end up there, I think they're going to kind of roll with what they have. So they do have, a, you know, Gary Cole's an ace. And even though he hasn't pitched like a number two, they have number two money invested in Carlos Rodon. And I think there's just uh, there. They have to be hoping that he'll be able to put it get together in year two and figure it out. Um, I don't we'll wait to see that whether or not that happens, and then who else do you have after that? You have um Cortez coming back. You have um Bart Schmidt, you know, who had a really good season. I don't know what to expect uh, this coming year. So the Yankees need starting pitching depth, and I think they're going to try to make a couple under the radar trades to make that happen, 
or just sign somebody off the scrap heap because they kind of do that as well. Like you'll get like Giolito on a one-year deal, even though I wouldn't really want him. And I don't think Jordan Montgomery is coming back to the Yankees because have you guys ever quit a job where like it went bad and you're like, no, I I'm, I would never come back to this place. Uh, I think Jordan Montgomery hates the New York Yankees. Not necessarily, maybe not doesn't hate the Yankees or the fans because we never did anything to him. Probably hates Brian Cashman, but I would never pitch for you again. I will go sign with the Red Sox for less money than you're offering just so I could shove it down your throat. So I think I there's you know I've heard the name Jordan Montgomery attached to the Yankees. There is no way he's going to do that. I think he just too much personal pride, and I don't blame him because the Yankees really screwed that up. He, I'm sure he thought I can be a really good pitcher, and these they just won't let me pitch in the playoffs. So uh, Jordan Montgomery to the Yankees, that's the one I can guarantee is not happening. Joey, uh, the Red Sox they need pitchers really bad. Really, what they need is two guys, and Yamamoto would only solve half that problem. Uh, you know, he becomes a Met. What's the Red Sox plan? See, that's an interesting question because, I, I mean, I don't want to say I'm a Yamamoto or bus guy. I mean, I, I liked Aaron Nola at the beginning of free agency, but it seems like we all missed the boat on that. I, I, what I do know is that I really don't want Jordan Montgomery. That that's what I do know. Uh, the numbers that are being thrown out for him, like eight years for one fifty or one eighty, I think that's insane. Considering he was basically a scrub until last season, he was a mid rotation guy. He had ups and downs. The Yankees got rid of him. He had one good season with the Rangers, and now he's he's worth that. He's, you're going to give him an eight year contract. I could see that being a total albatross. Snell is a good pitcher. I don't know how much I believe in Snell's long-term health. And I also don't know how much I believe in Snell's ability to pitch in the Northeast. You know, he's pitched for the Rays, which is a nothing fan base, and he's pitched for the Padres, which is a new fan base. He's not. I, I don't see him as a Northeast guy, and I don't think he's particularly interested in that. I don't think the Red Sox are interested in him in either. Uh, so for me, the only acceptable moves would be to either go get uh, Corbin Burns, I think, would be my number one. Would be to get Corbin Burns. Do what the Dodgers did, get Burns, then give him an extension. Or maybe get Shane Bieber, uh, although he's been questionable last season. I mean, is he really the same guy he was? Or maybe go out to Seattle, but it seems like Seattle's not amendable to that. The Red Sox need an ace. They need a number one. Uh, I know, you know... Pat, what would you do if, in the end, Yamamoto goes? You know, I would have signed with the Red Sox. I almost did. But when I found out that they promised Chris Sale that he was going to pitch opening day, I was too insulted, and I, I wouldn't come. I'm glad we don't have Maybe him. Was a- I, I, can't, I can't have another one of those guys with that attitude around. We just got rid of one of those guys and shipped him to the Yankees. Yeah, as for the Yankees, I think the Yankees have done enough this offseason. They got, I mean, their lineup is significantly improved. Verdugo's a good hitter who hits for average. Soto's unbelievable. And you got Judge. I mean, that's a that's a pretty punchy lineup, even if a lot of guys don't take the steps forward that they need to take. That's going to be a solid lineup. You have Cole. I mean, I think the Rodon contract is going to be a failure. I think that's like Ellsbury, but a pitcher, to, like, to be honest with you guys. And I think we all knew that immediately once he signed. We were like, this is going to be bad. So, but I mean, you have to give him the ability to 
you have to give him the faith to come out there and be a number two? He's getting number two money. I don't know how much it makes sense for the Yankees to get top-tier pitching. I think if I'm the Yankees, I'm going to go get some fours and fives, some Nick Pavetta types, and, and ride. Because you need the innings, but I don't think you need that top-tier talent in the rotation right now. I think the Yankees have had a great offseason. And I think Cashman has shown that he really wants to keep his job. I just I cannot get on board with the Yankees are done. I just can't. because You cannot send out that many pitchers. I said this on the show last week, two weeks ago. It doesn't matter if you score nine runs if you give up ten. You can have a great offensive game, but it is about pitching. Um, defense wins championships. Pitching is defense. And you cannot send that many guys off and not have some sort of corresponding move. Like scoring more runs is not going to be a problem. You already have Aaron Judge in your lineup. You're scoring a decent amount of runs. Um, it was the fact that they... I mean, they had a terrible lineup, Pat. Well, that is... Pat, they had like... They had the worst lineup in the in the AL East. I mean, they. I mean, maybe one of the worst in the AL. It was horrible. That's true. It was judge. Was the, it was team is judge. One guy gonna change that? I know, I know that that one guy's one Soto, and I get it. Okay, I do. Get it. They got two guys. Uh, Verdugo's an above average hitter. Okay, yeah, and they got two contact hitters, yeah. like contact left-handed hitters, which is what they needed. I, so I, I do think. I don't think I agree. Like it was, they had a horrible lineup last year. Like I'm not arguing that. And it's going to take a lot to get fixed, and you're going to need guys to step up. You need Torres to step up. <laughs> like Stanton, for when he plays, you know, I know it's in his game to get injured, but when he does play, you're going to need you're going to need better than you know 162 or whatever he hit this year. So uh, I think they're improved, but I, I agree with Pat. I don't think they're done because you can't ship off that much pitching and then I don't not think have kind of I don't think they're getting any more top tier guys. I don't see it. It wouldn't make sense. Think of the contracts they already have committed in starting pitching and then extrapolate that to all the contracts they already have committed in general. It doesn't make sense for them to sign a, a Blake Snell, a Jordan Montgomery. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I could see the Yankees pulling a bunch of fours and fives, maybe a Woodruff. I, that's, that feels like a good move for someone that, you know, if, if Rodon doesn't work out and they know that by next year, you move Woodruff into a spot. I don't see them signing a $100 million-plus contract for a pitcher. It just doesn't make sense to me. If I have anything, the Yankees are going to get more bats, in my view. If anything, they're going to get more bats. But there's a dearth of them on the market. But that that would be my guess. I just I, I hear what you guys are saying. I really do. I think that, to this Yamamoto or bus point, I think that that's kind of where the Yankees are, maybe should be. Because, you know, this guy's going to sign a 10-plus year deal. I mean, he, he might literally never hit free agency again um, with, with you know, people talking 13, 14 years. If you want him, you got to get him now. I mean, there's just no other choice. So maybe, yeah, 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 this is the offseason where we got one soda. We, we, we lifted up our, our offense. And, and I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm really not. But I just feel like um, uh, Alex Verdugo is not going to, not going to be the difference maker there. And I feel like to a certain extent, Clark Schmidt could have been. Um, and it, do you go in all on Yamamoto now because it might be the only time you can ever get this guy? And then if that doesn't work, then maybe you, you go to the threes and the fours and the fives. Um, maybe there there's absolutely no conversation with Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery or anything like that. It is just 
can we get the very best guy at the only time that we can get him? And if not, we'll just, you know, go with the normal plan. Um, maybe that's what it is, but they just, they, they cannot be, you know, essentially frozen from this point on. You know, guys, I want to bring up an interesting point. I saw on Twitter either today or yesterday, uh, a certain, a certain guy that, uh, Pat and I are familiar with posted, uh, Dice K's uh, resume from before he was signed and is like Yamamoto's basically just like Dice K and look how that worked out. And by the way, it's not really fair to say Dice K didn't. I mean, Dice K obviously the deal did not go great, but we did win a World Series with them. So I mean, can you can you really hate that deal that much? Obviously, he was a major disappointment. He had two good seasons with the Red Sox, basically. Then he was terrible. And it showed Dice K's stats. And it actually, what it really showed to me is how much different Yamamoto is, how how otherworldly he is. Because Dice K had like one Japanese Cy Young equivalent, no MVPs, and, you know, a couple All-Stars. You know, he had a good, he was a solid resume for a starting pitcher. And then you got Yamamoto, who is like three straight MVPs, three straight Triple Crowns, three straight Pitcher of the Year awards. I mean, to me, that just showed this has never happened before. We've never had a starting pitcher this good on the market. And if that guy was out there instead of Dice K, he would have gotten more money, right? But I, I, I love the comparison because Dice K, I think Dice K is like a bright, bright, bright uh, not, 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 Blake Snell equivalent. You know, he has one Cy Young. He's been good. He's been kind of around. And then you have Yamamoto, who's like Pedro in Japan. He's like Pedro in Japan. He's like Randy Johnson of Japan. It's totally different. I agree. John, you want the final word on this? That's the one thing, though, that still kind of worries me about Yamamoto is the amount of innings that his arm, that's on his arm. So if whoever signs him, say, says, signs him for a 10 year deal, kind of like you said with Dice Case, is it going to be a deal where he's good for two years and then he's not good after that and the rest of the deal is just kind of a bust? So that's just kind of also going to be the one hesitation. Like I'm wondering about that Yamamoto contract. We'll see. I mean, I was going to say this at the end of the show, but we're going to have one more midweek show um, this week, um, and then we're going to be off for for the holidays the week after, which means that after the midweek show, our next show, probably not on New Year's Eve, so our next show might be December th- or should we, um January 3rd, which would be the final 48 hours of the Yamamoto um, deadline. So um, we, will, we will definitely see. Um, one thing that we want to kind of talk about, because there has not been a ton of news, um, upcoming next month, we're going to get the, um, the 2024 um, Baseball Hall of Fame results. And John, I know that you wanted to bring up a couple storylines uh, on this ballot. Uh, I think we we have an interesting, not to make you feel like the old man on the show, but I think we have an interesting uh, uh, division here, which is some of these guys who are appearing on the ballot for the first time are like some of the guys from uh, the the Joey and I growing up days. Um, you know, we're seeing them in their first. Yes, Joey, we are uh, closer in age than 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 John and I are. Um, and so, uh, uh, John, I'll start with you on this one. And any notable things you want to bring up from this this twenty twenty four Hall of Fame ballot? 
so yes, definitely. My if I only had one vote and could only vote for one person on this ballot for the Hall of Fame, I would vote for Gary Sheffield. Watching Gary Sheffield, when you know, no, I know, Joey. That's exactly it. I watched Gary Sheffield play. You were too young to see Gary Sheffield play. I watched Gary Sheffield play. When you watched Gary Sheffield in the batter's box, you thought this guy was a Hall of Famer. And I thought that before he was even with the Yankees, during all his years in the National League, Gary Sheffield was amazing. Almost won a triple crown of uh, the Marlins. And the reason his bat speed was so was what it was, which he had he really did have legendary bat speed, was he grew up with Doc Gooden four years older than him, like throwing fastballs at him and teaching him how to, you know, that's how he got to be such an amazing hitter. You grew up with Doc Gooden um, as your uncle. It was just, this guy was just something else. And I know, uh, like, he had a really great arm, too. Uh, he was an okay fielder and just one of the most intense people ever. And I kind of think it's going to be one of those situations where I don't think he's going to get in which is unfortunate because I know there have been situations where guys that aren't necessarily media-friendly, quote-unquote, uh, they either wait to get in or don't get in. Like Jim Rice, like y'all's boy, he uh, he had to wait till his last chance on the ballot to finally get in, and that was just a spite thing by the writers. Uh, I know Dave Parker, I think he had it used against him because of that Pittsburgh cocaine trials in the 70s or whatever, and they're like, oh, well, we can't vote for this guy. Uh, even though really like you, Dave Parker probably belonged in the Hall of Fame, and Gary Sheffield was just a, never really a friendly guy with the media, and I think that's really really worked against him. I know he got linked with steroids, but there's other steroid users in the Hall of Fame, so you know like I think we need to get past that. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame, all right. Bud Selig was the commissioner that let steroids happen. Like he knew what was going on, and he let it happen, and he's in the Hall of Fame. So I don't think steroids can really be held off of anybody uh, or held against anybody in Hall of Fame voting anymore. Um, you know, there's no integrity there. Uh, we've lost all integrity with that. So my one vote, if I'm going to say, that would be Gary Sheffield. I just think he's an absolute Hall of Famer. And having watched him play, like in, in the moment, you're looking at this guy in the banner's box thinking that this is what a Hall of Famer is. Tenth year on the ballot. Uh, last year, got 55% of the vote. Would be quite the jump. Uh, to get to that that seventy five um, percent, so maybe not in this kind of typical ballot, uh, but you know, there's always the veterans committees and the this and the that, and the we've created this committee so that we can allow Gary Sheffield in committee. Um, so you know, um, uh, maybe uh, Joey. Some of the names that we're seeing uh, for the first time: uh, Adrian Beltre, Joe Mauer, uh, Mr. Matt David Wright. I know he's not Mr. Man. That was a joke. Um, our old friend, Adrian Gonzalez. Uh, our old friend, Brandon Phillips. Uh, your reaction? Yeah, yeah. I cannot believe you made the cut. Um, your reaction to, to some of the names on this list? So, uh, you know, I'm, I don't believe in putting steroid users in the Hall of Fame. So Sheffield, for me, is, is a no-go. You know, it is funny. You are kind of right. There are, there are, like, like, it is a miracle to me how Piazza just somehow snuck into the Hall of Fame. Even though, I mean, a lot of people think Piazza was a steroid user. He, he's kind of like the only guy that got away with it, I think, in the Hall. Where he just, Padre he just. Rodriguez too. Didn't Pudge get named in somebody's book as a Hall as yeah, a steroid Padre, user? Those two guys both got, they just both slipped through. I don't know if because they were catchers or whatever, but. For me, the only guy I'd put on the ballot. 
in the hall. I, I, maybe one or two would be Beltre. I think Beltre deserves it. He was unbelievable for that last stretch. No guy had a, had a renaissance like that. Uh, put Beltre, and then for me, and maybe this is more of a symptom of me watching him play and remembering him. Joe Mauer, I, I, if a if a catcher's gonna go in, if we're gonna put a modern day catcher in the hall, to me Joe Mauer's got to be it. Pat <laughs> wants Joey, to die right now. Joey, That's you don't what, remember this, but I do. Many moons ago, when we met for the first time, the first thing you and I ever went back and forth about was, is Buster Posey a Hall of Famer? And you were like, a strong, adamant, hell no. It is the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good. And you're like, you know what? Let's do the less accomplished and maybe a better hitter. But overall, maybe not as good, Joe Mauer. I said maybe Mauer. I mean... But he's the only other person on that ballot that I'd really consider. And Mauer, yeah, Posey shouldn't be in the hall. Also, Posey played first base. Posey didn't play catcher for the last five seasons. He was playing first base all the time. And he wasn't as good of a hitter, okay? Mauer was dominant at his time. Mauer was dominant, okay? And he played a lot of catcher. He played a lot of catcher, that guy. And I'm not saying I'd put him in, but... The guy has over 2,000 career hits. He has an over, he's a 306 career average. He has an MVP. He has a bunch of gold gloves. He played for one team his whole career. He played a lot of catcher. To me, I I like it. I I dig that. That that to me is pretty close for a catcher. Posey retired with less seasons under his belt. He didn't play enough catcher. That's my opinion. Okay? He had retired at like 33. He was playing first base. He could have been DHing. Posey could be DHing right now, and we'd be making arguments for him, and maybe he'd have a more legit, legit thing going on there. But Posey retired too early because he's. Uh, I guess he didn't want to be an MB. I guess he didn't want to be a Hall of Famer, and he played too much first base. So I mean, look at so Maurer played just just to do this to you. Maurer played 15 seasons. Posey played. 12. Okay? And that's it's not really 12, it's more like 11. And it's not really more like 11 because it's more like really 10. Cuz this one one of those seasons is 45 okay. games, the other is 7. So he okay. really played 10. So uh-huh. he really played How many World 10 Series seasons. did he win in those 10 seasons? I, and I think that's fantastic and I think that's the main argument for putting him in there. Well, there's also the argument for the rookie of the year, the MVP as well. There is that. I'm a Buster Posey fan. That's a Bill James. That's a Bill James, you guys. That's a Bill James, you guys. His he has t- over ten less career war than Joe Maurer. Okay. I think he they're played, both Hall of Famers for the record. He played less seasons than Maurer, and he also played too much first base. That's my opinion. If he had played three or four more seasons, then I think yes, he would have built up some of those counting stats, but. That's just where I'm at with him. Joe Maurer has 600, over 600 more hits than him. Posey has 1,500 career hits. Maurer has 2,100. That's a huge difference to me. Okay? That's a huge difference. He's very good. Posey is very good. Not a Hall of Famer. Right, sure. Not a Whatever Hall of Famer. 
All right, you're a sick guy, Pat, for even bringing that up. What, you think I was going to concede my point? Just you think, think I was going to concede? The comparison is very even. And so to say one guy, absolutely, one guy, absolutely not, I, I cannot get on board with that, but that's fine. I didn't say oh, absolutely. Right. Didn't I say never said absolutely the fact, that, the fact that you're even considering it, I think, was enough of a crime here. He played five yeah. more seasons yeah. than Posey. Um, and to keep to not, Joey, I'm going to keep up on you for a minute here. Uh, you said you don't want steroid users in the Hall of Fame. How do you feel about David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame then? Well, that's fine because David Ortiz never used steroids. And uh, I'd, I'd, I'd put that, I'd swear that in front of uh, a jury of my peers. If you put me on trial, I'd say that. If you, uh, he, he had a Dominican milkshake. Test. He had one Dominican milkshake and everyone got on his case. He had one special milkshake and it was, it was thrown out. No one took it seriously. It was a false report and he was fine. David Ortiz was a great player. Now, Manny Ramirez, it's tough. It isn't, isn't it tough to yeah, not vote I, for Manny? I, I, I sorted the, this year's list by career war. A-Rod blows everyone out of the water at 117.5 career war. Number two, Adrian Beltre, 93.5. He's going to absolutely be elected in, in this first year. Uh, but then you go, number three, Carlos Beltran. I think that that Astros scandal is going to... I think it's going to kill him. Oh, I think yeah. he's got to wait. I, I think he's going to be I on think he's you know, voting wait. probation or I, something. Yeah, he's. I don't even he, think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, this is this is second ballot, and then and then number four, like you've a, got Manny, um, sixty nine point three career war. By the way, and of course, Manny was the better hitter out of all of them, except uh, by the way, maybe. Brandon maybe. Phillips career war twenty eight point four, which I think is what. Which I think Why is what Shohei did last did, did, did he, um, but, You know, that's fine. Did he pay, did, 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 did Brandon Phillips pay off someone to get on the ballot? Year, so it doesn't. Is Papelbon, is Papelbon still on the ballot? He was for a minute, he wasn't he? Have, did he drop uh, off? I, I don't think he, it you, looks you don't like get that he's 1% off, yeah. or 5% or whatever it is. You don't make it the next year. Um, yeah, Manny's tough. Well, the thing that annoys with me, me with Manny, too, is... All of these people tried to push for all the steroid people to get in. Like, oh, it's Bonds last year, and now John, the sick guy who doesn't care about the integrity of the game, is talking about putting Gary Sheffield in. No one ever pushes to put Manny in. They're like, Pat, tell me if I'm wrong. There was no outcry from the pro-steroid Hall of Fame people to put Manny in. There's no, never I think that's because it. he was just like, he just couldn't let it go. I mean, steroids in the in the early to mid 2000s is one thing. I mean, I think he got hit with his last suspension in like 2012 or something. <laughs> he really should. That's why he retired. He, like, he was like playing for that's Oakland. Like he really should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> well, so not to play devil's advocate, but I will because he's a Red Sox player. I will advocate for him. If you're going to make the argument for anyone, I would say that steroid use affected Manny's performance the least out of all of those guys. Because Manny, I mean, what's commonly understood is that Manny picked up some roids after we traded him or around when we traded him because he was feeling like he was trailing off and he picked up roids in 08, right? That's, that's what I believe the story is. So if you're going to take out everything that post 08 Manny, he's still a Hall of Famer. Whereas Bonds, has all these fake accomplishments that he does. It was in the middle of his career. He was already a good player. 
he wasn't just trying to hold on to staying in the show. Uh, a Rod, when is it? When do people think A Rod started? Was he was he around when he, he was playing with the Yankees? Ta- he signed with Texas. And I'd like to point out, David Ortiz failed that steroid test, which he did fail as much as y'all want to deny that happened. He failed in like 2003, and I'm pretty sure Manny failed around that, at that same kind of testing phase too because that's when all those guys got popped. Like everybody in Major League Baseball got like popped. He said, they're, they're, oh, well, we're going to do the investigation okay. if it's like 20% and 80% of players or some insane number like failed for steroids. And that the was when you saw – in. They were mailed in tests. Okay, there was there was huge fraud going on in in, in the steroids. No, but there are problems with that survey because I think it was a survey. It was anonymous. You weren't sure whose samples were whose. They you all know, got It was, was quasi unofficial. A lot of I mean, guys. Steroids weren't even illegal in baseball against the baseball rules at that point either, which no, is something were. people no, don't really were. even. I th- no, no, they, they bought- tested. They made it illegal after that testing. So technically, when all these guys were getting popped for steroids, technically it wasn't even illegal, and Major League Baseball didn't have a rule against it until a couple of years later. I just well, think if you're going to let Bud Selig in, you have to let – you can't Dave use Ortiz it against is anybody. the same big guy he's always been. You look at, like, Mo Vaughn or uh, – Bonds. Bonds. Barry Bonds. Bonds was skinny. He was fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa was like my size. <laughs> Ortiz is so physical. There's no, I mean, the guy was an out of shape, overweight guy. I mean, that's what he was. He was always that. It was great. And to say steroids affected Manny Ramirez the least, I'd say that that because Gary Sheffield grew up facing Doc Gooden, if you can hit Doc Gooden growing up, and like that's who you learn to hit against, I'd say steroids probably affected him the least because even before steroids, he nearly won a triple crown. No, John, I get that. John, I get that. But what I'm saying is Manny didn't use them until late in his career when he was basically already done, whereas Sheffield in theory, was using them in the middle of his career. Same thing with Bonds. Same thing with A-Rod. I think that's, I think that's a difference. I think, trying to, I think trying to pop some steroids so you can stay in the game at 38 or however old he was is different than, you know, you're 27 years old and you go from looking like me to looking like a tank. I think that's, I think that's different. I think all those guys were using steroids the entire time. Like I don't I, I believe listen, I for a minute. I don't believe for a minute that A Rod was doing it. Like or uh, Maynard Ramirez waited until the end of his career. I think they were all. Well, here's another thing, and here's one other thing, John. I think, at least for me personally, it would be a lot easier to forgive these guys and put them in the hall. I feel like we have this debate every year. We've we've had the steroid debate so many times. It would be a lot easier for me to forgive them if they admitted what they did. Clemens has never admitted to steroids. Bonds has never admitted to steroids. Sheffield has never admitted to steroids. He did. The, oh, did he admit? He said he took him. He, he got him from Barry Bonds, so that was kind of messed up that he snitched on Bonds. <laughs> I'm going down. I'm and then he said he used him, and it didn't make enough of a difference. But <laughs> exactly, yeah, those guys apparently did not like each other. They started as friends, and then it kind of fell apart. So yeah, but, you know, he did say he said he got them, and then. But he gave them to uh, it, he got them from Barry Bonds, and they didn't work, so he didn't do them again. That was his explanation. Yeah, he didn't do them again. So I mean, you see, it's like it's like I I uh, I I tried marijuana, but I did not inhale. It's like it's like that's or that's. I got a Dominican milkshake, and inhale. I swear it was the only time I did steroids. Yeah, but I think if those guys apologized, said that they were wrong, and admitted what they did, 
I think that there'd be a lot more leeway for them. But it'd be an insult to put Bonds in the hall when this guy's still telling everyone he never used steroids. I think that's insulting to everyone's intelligence and to all the fans to put in that freak show whose head expanded to the size of a, of a coke. I mean, it was like three coconuts all tied together. And then he wants to sit there and tell you that he never touched steroids. Admit it. Admit it, and then maybe we'll forgive you. I'm. It's a farce to put in a guy who's still telling you he never used roids. Clemens was. I mean, Clemens had like four different career renaissances. He had like four comebacks because the guy was like, "Oh, I found a new, found a new cocktail. I found a new dosage to put in. This, oh, this one feels good." Yeah, it was ridiculous. Everyone knows that's that's it was it was hooey, right? So. It bothers me very much. They still look at us in the eyes and tell us that's that they why didn't Joey use every Sunday night on ESPN. Alex Rodriguez goes, "I shouldn't have done it," and I think that you know it's going to ruin my Hall of Fame chances. And a single tear falls down his cheek. Unless, unless the people of 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 the fans, unless the writers, the sweet sweet and writers, see it in themselves to forgive for me. Um. <laughs> I never said I'd vote for him in the hall, dude. I hate the guy. <laughs> I would vote for Clemens, Bond, Sheffield. I mean, A-Rod, because he's a Yankee, I feel obligated to vote for him. But I would vote for Clemens, Bonds, and Sheffield all for the Hall of Fame. I don't care about steroids. I think everybody did them. And the fact that Felix in doesn't, like, I think that negates everything. You got okay, guys but- like Edgar Martinez and other, like, potential users. You know, Edgar Martinez hit, like, 40 home runs at 38 years old. Um, I, so I just David- say, I, and that's like all the guys from my era too. You're like holding all these great players from like the era where I grew up out of baseball, but like, it's such a, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily fair because if everybody is taking steroids, they were still the best of the best. Okay. I, okay. And- then, then I think, I think the only fair way to do that then is to let everyone that did steroids. So you have to let in like Rafael Palmero. You have to let Sosa in. Like, I, I don't think it's fair to draw the distinctions with people. Oh, well, he was good anyway, so, you know, he would have been in anyway. No, I think you either let in all the Roids guys in, or you let none of them in. You ha- I mean, it, to me, you have to let in, like, Conseco and Palmero if you're going to let Bonds and Clemens in. That's my view. I think Jose Canseco, Pete Rose, Daryl Strawberry, and Doc Gooding, and Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds should start their own Hall of Fame. Like the rest and, of you guys can't sure. be in our Hall of Fame. We have our own Hall of Fame. Set it up like a, like two blocks down the street from the actual National Baseball Hall of Fame. Like there's some empty office space in Cooperstown, and just go hang out there all day. Like this is our Hall of Fame, and those guys aren't allowed in it. Kurt Schilling can do his radio show from from the new Hall of Fame. Oh my God, could you imagine a Kurt Schilling, Pete Rose radio show? What? That million dollar idea, must folks? Listen to watch, let's listen to this to senile old men um, complain about the way the world did. Who are so full of themselves they could not coexist. They didn't like each other very much. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to wrap it. Um, midweek show later this week, the Tuesday night, Wednesday morning show. I'll be there. Um, Joey's supposed to be there, but we'll see if he actually is there. Um, and that's probably the last, that is actually the last episode, at least until 2024. Um, so whatever happens in the next 48 hours, we will be there to cover it. Um, you're going to want to hit subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Rate us five stars. Leave us a nice review. Joey, what, what could you possibly have to throw in here? 
we'll probably do an emergency the, show sure if we will. sign I'm down sure remote. Will. Won't we? Uh, yes. 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 Okay. Thank you. The last regularly scheduled show of the year is Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, Rate us five stars, leave us a nice review, all that stuff. Go find us on all the places that you find us. YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. uh, That's our main social media hub. You can find all of our Twitters in the description of this episode. Our website, bleacherbrawls.com, which we normally plug throughout the episode and somehow have managed to not do for an hour and four minutes, which is, I think, kind of impressive, probably because Luke isn't here. Um, There you can find more Red Sox, Yankees, and Between the Lines stuff. Um, lots of great stuff going on over there. Caroline wrote a piece on Friday about um, how each NFL quarterback would respond if I cried in front of them. It's very funny. And um, the way that I said it just now doesn't not make it seem nearly as funny as it is. Um, you need to go check it out. Um, I think that's all I got. I'm going to sign off for these guys. So for John and Joey, my name is Pat. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for hanging with us through all of 2023. So far, we got one more for you. We'll see you in a couple days. All right, folks, that's the latest episode of Bleacher Brawls. Thanks for tuning in, for rating us five stars and leaving us a nice review. And don't forget to check us out on BleacherBrawls.com, on YouTube, and on Twitter.